Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday night service from Gospel Assembly Church here in Mississauga. I want to welcome those of you that came out here tonight and are present in church, which is what we say, a small crowd. It makes us feel great when we say crowd and associate it with small, a small crowd. It's a contradiction, technically. Well, we're glad that you came out and you're here. And then those following us online, we pray that God will enlighten your hearts. Uh, we want to start tonight by having a word of prayer. And then uh, just a reminder before we move on into the service that on Saturday night, we have what we call a pizza night, where we would invite everyone to be out on Saturday night regular church time, regular service. Uh, we'll probably reflect a little on on the 43rd anniversary, uh, which is really last month, but uh, we sort of delayed it because of the various reasons. And so we would have Saturday night, a pizza night, and we hope to see everyone out uh, for that uh, anniversary weekend celebration. <clears throat> Brother Philip Kempadu still needs prayer. He is really seemingly on the last days of his life. Uh, he scarcely eats, and that's an indication that he's slowly drifting away. And so we want to remember him in prayer and pray that God bless his service tonight. Join me in prayer, please. <clears throat> Dear Father, we give you thanks tonight for the privilege you have given to us that we can come before you in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this Wednesday night. We have had so many good Wednesday nights where your spirit and your presence was in our midst in a wonderful way. You have never abandoned your people, Lord, but you have always been there with us. And so tonight, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in church. We thank you, Lord, we are not living in the days where a situation, whether it's a virus or persecution or um, some, for, so, some form of hindrance uh, or obstacles to the work of God. But you have given us a free country where it's, it's okay to serve you in this land. Lord, we pray you'll touch the minds of your people and save some of us, revive us, stir our spirits again that we will not let the spirit of the age destroy us, but we would be faithful even unto the end. I thank you, Lord, for those present here tonight, and I pray, O oh God, that you will reward them and minister to them and be a blessing to each one. Pray for those that are not here that might be sick in their bodies, Lord, that you will minister to them, to minister to them also. Pray, Lord, for every child of God, we commit our Saturday night before you. Uh, we pray for those traveling to Canada this coming weekend. Tonight we remember Brother Philip Kempadu, Lord, and as he lies there in his seemingly last days on this earth, we pray that, O oh God, you will strengthen his faith and touch the minds of those that are with him, Lord, physically. 
We pray that you'll strengthen Sister Asiman's mind and spirit, Father. Help us to understand that your will always is important to your people, that nothing happens that you have not approved or permitted, O God. And so tonight we ask your blessing on this service, and we pray that you'll minister to each one of us for the rest of this week. Be with us, we pray. Bless this worship we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen and amen. Come more of your power, more of your grace, Lord, this very hour. And most of me, Spirit, more of your power, more of your grace, Lord, this very hour, and less of me. Of your spirit more, more of your grace, Lord, this very One of these nights, we might decide just to spend the entire night singing praises to the Lord. And it'll be such a wonderful thing to do. Time is always limited on us, and so I'm thinking that over the past 43 years, 43 years, I'm not sure how many messages I preached. Uh, to this assembly and to the saints and to saints that are following us in the past three years around the world. Over the past three years since the pandemic started, I've probably gone over 300, close to 400 messages that we preached and it's on the internet. And um, someone would say, well, it might be a waste of time. No, nothing is a waste of time. The elect will be saved. And it's not great numbers. It's always uh, those that are uh, not in the limelight, but those that God is working to save their lives. History is an encouraging part of what we're doing. And one of the things that is so important is that you and I listening to these messages, we can listen and I've said this a million times, that we can listen with our ears and our hearts are receiving nothing. And that is not good 
because we must be able to have our senses exercised. I think that's a good place for us to start tonight. Uh, Paul, in writing to the Hebrews, and uh, let me find that here, Hebrews, the uh, fifth chapter, um, in the, someone said, and I don't, I am not familiar with original manuscript and original Greek and original Hebrew. I have a problem with original English. And uh, some people, they're specialized in the original language, the original Hebrew, the original Greek. And maybe I'm the contrary minister that when I think of the translators that put together original things, they needed to be saved. Now I'm saying that not just obnoxiously critical, but the fact is these men were not believing in the Holy Ghost. They didn't believe, they believed 90% of their doctrines were false doctrines. And they were the ones transcribing things. As a matter of fact, I went, I was uh, walking through a street uh, in Streetsville uh, many, many years ago, and I saw a little garage sale. They were selling books, and I walked over there, and there was a little book I picked up, and it talks about uh, the history of dogma, uh, the history of dogma. But for, surprisingly, it was not written by a Christian. It was written by a man that was just familiar with what was going on. And uh, one of the things, I still think I've got that book somewhere. And one of the things he said is that the, some of the biggest hypocrites you can find, especially in the days of Jesus, were the scribes, uh, the ones that you want a trans, you want a, a copy of the book of Isaiah, you go to a scribe. And uh, from history, reading the Bible, we'll know that the scribes and the Pharisees worked together in opposition to Jesus. Uh, Jesus says they, uh, they hinder in the individuals that want to enter into the kingdom. They would not go in themselves, and those that wanted to go in, they hindered. And so if in the days of Jesus, the scribes, these men that were transcribing things, were so blind to truth and reality, why would I trust them to translate anything accurately? And so when we think about the prophets of the Old Testament and how God inspired them, when we think of a man like Enoch that walked with God and was not, for God took him, when I think of Moses, and you look at these documents we have got in this Bible, and my Bible is a precious book. As a matter of fact, I have this one here, and I don't know if I have a date on it, uh, yes, 2000, I have here 2017, and it's already old. It's getting old. I've got one more copy of this Oxford Bible that I haven't touched yet. I've got a copy of the Cambridge that I haven't touched yet. And so it's the King James, all King James translations. But the man that spoke before the translators got their, their prophecy... The men that spoke were inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak. And 
They did not need a translation. They did not need a scripture. They did not need to read some book. They got the Holy Ghost to touch them, and they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so I like that song, I Need More of Your Spirit. And I ask the Lord every day, Lord, uh, this morning, I said, Lord, can you please fill me with your spirit like they had on the day of Pentecost? And forgive me, but I said it like this, Lord, would you, if the day of Pentecost was real, that's what I said. And someone says, why? Why are we saying that? Well, I say that because I need the Holy Ghost experience like they had in the day of Pentecost, and I haven't had it yet. Well, you mean you don't speak in tongues? I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit touching your life, that you speak a foreign language. That when I make a trip into Haiti, the Holy Spirit can touch me, and I preach to the people in their local language without learning their language. Now, that's what I prayed for. Oh, God, could you give me what they had on the day of Pentecost? If that is correct, and I know the Lord will not judge me for saying if, because I've seen so much of, of not real manifestations among Pentecostals, and I'm Pentecostal, I've seen people shiver and speak in tongues, and uh, something happened and they stopped speaking in tongues. I've seen children motivated to speak in a gibberish, uh, to make a, say a phrase over and over again, and then someone says, they got it, they got it. And you know, what I see, I don't want to make a judgment call, but I will have to come to the place of making a personal judgment call. Is this real or is this not real? Is this uh, is this uh, really what God is doing, or this is just a fabricated thing? I've seen people jump up. Uh, people fall on the floor and roll. I've been in churches where people laugh. They said, laugh in the spirit. And I'm ready to get out of there. I remember being in one church in Africa, uh, South Africa, not one of our churches, but a church in South Africa, where I'm sitting there, and I had no exit because I was staying in someone's home. I had no exit out, and uh, the pastor, no one sat on the platform. Uh, the platform was a stage. The ministers sat in the pews, the front pews. There were a little section for the ministers, and the platform was a stage for performance in the church. And when they started to, to sing, uh, they, they, the girls that were there, they had short blouses, so their belly button was showing, and they were dancing and singing with body movements that was vulgar. Now, if I had, was well, staying in a hotel, I'd leave that church and go, because to me, that's the highest form of iniquity being done, and I can rejoice in iniquity. That is why the fewer services I go to is better for me. The fewer meetings I go to, for me, you know. I'm at the end of my race. I have how many years more? I don't know. I told the church on Sunday, I'm shooting for 120. I was just kidding. If I live 120, that's amazing. Um, Indy, you would not want to see me at 120. 
I will be old. Well, uh, if I'm 120, you'll be up there too. You would not see anyways. Uh, you, you might not even, you might talk to the wrong person and think it's me. But I am at the end of my, heading towards the end of my life, and I don't need to be bothered with iniquity and all this that's going on in the world. I'm, um, I'm, my year, race is almost done. And so I want to please God. That is the most important thing. I don't want to please mankind. I want to please God and finish my race. And I've done for this particular assembly everything that the Lord has given me. The thousands of messages I preach to this church takes the blood of every child of God that sat through my ministry off my shoulders. I did not preach just to get blood off my shoulder. I preach the truth as I feel God uh, touch my mind. And so what I'm giving to the church today, God must touch your mind to understand. The eyes of your understanding must be enlightened. I know I told you that we're going into Hebrews, but before we do that, let's turn to Corinth and uh, you know, normally in a service I rush because of time. So get your Bibles, get your notepads, and write uh, these scriptures down. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a backslidden church. Uh, these churches that Paul is, uh, is writing to, uh, this one particular church, it used to be a church planted on the right foundation that this assembly had moved off from the foundation that Paul had planted. They were getting into a place when they look at the Apostle Paul, they feel he was outdated, he was old, his letters, they say, are weighty, his bodily presence weak, and his speech contemptible. And they were losing vision of reality and spiritual light. Uh, listen to me carefully tonight. Uh, tonight I came on in, and one of the things that's what's in my mind to talk about, it's spiritual schizophrenics. I wanted to talk about scared, spiritual schizophrenics. I mean, individuals that serve God one day and then serve the devil the other day. Drink the cup of the Lord one day and drink the cup of the devil for the rest of the week. Uh, most of us have a little spiritual schizophrenic in us, a little Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in us. And God must save us from that, and the possibility is there. And so here in 1 Corinthians... Paul is writing, and he is uh, telling the saints here in chapter 1, he says, um, he says, uh, let me see here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I beseech you, brethren, verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the letter that I'm reading unto you, it might sound simple, but he's actually saying, I'm begging you all. What apostle begs the people? I never got to that place yet in my church. Um, as a matter of fact, in the early days, I said, you like it or lump it? The door swings both ways. You know, that's what, as I get older, I might come to the place like Paul that says, I'm begging you, live for God. See, if I could, if I could talk to this church and I'm sitting here tonight and say I would like to beg everyone to please come to church on a Wednesday night. Other churches do. And I was talking to Brother Richard and a lot of churches, 
in North America failed to do that. But if you go to Brother Antoine's church, everybody's out there on a Wednesday night. Why? They got Haitian jobs? They got little me week? No, no, no. God is honoring them because everyone is out to church on a Wednesday night. You go to Brother Gatinji's church. One time we went when he was in the hospital and we popped in on a Wednesday night. We didn't tell them we were coming. Popped in on a Wednesday night and the church was full. Band was in full bloom. You come here and everyone's got a reason to backslide. And so there might come a time that I might say, beg you to come out to church on Wednesday. I, I don't think I'd ever do that. It's not my personality. You stay away. You want to backslide. Go ahead and make yourself comfortable. The elect will be saved. I can judge you by your performance and the way you serve God. Uh, the, the, most of us, this church is a Sunday Christian church. This assembly in Mississauga, I know this is going overseas, but this assembly in Mississauga is called Gospel Assembly Sunday Christian Church. And that is when the most of the people come because they're Sunday Christians. They serve God at their convenience. They don't put themselves out for anything. And you know, years ago I preached a message that you need to move closer to the church. And one of the reasons why people don't come to church on a Wednesday night, they live too far. They have violated the word of God that I preach. And they think God will bless them for violating his message. You see, but Brother Singh preached, that's, that was the word of God. Listen to me tonight. Right? And Paul writes here to the church at Corinth and he says, Verse 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Why would he say that? Because there were divisions in the church. There were divisions in the church at Corinth. When there are different opinions being promoted, when individuals in the church and uh, leaders in the church are pulling people to a one side and elders are divided in their doctrinal opinion and conclusion, and uh, some are setting radical examples to the people. People would follow bad examples. People follow examples. Don't give advice. Somebody might listen to you if you're not qualified to give advice. And so as Paul went on here, he says, I pray that you're perfectly joined together in the same mind and having the same judgment. He says we're losing that in Corinth. And then he went on a whole lot of things he said. He said, verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. God didn't send me here to use great vocabulary and great diction and a lot of phrases and a lot of theology and a lot of ology, whatever ology it is. He sent me to preach a simple gospel. And here was a man that had given up what apostate religion had taught him because God was molding him and developing the spirit of Jesus within him. Uh, other men were taking on the spirit of a society that they were living in. And so Paul, he says here, he says, for the preaching of the cross, verse, verse 
18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. When you tell people about cross and discipleship and about sacrifices like I'm telling you here tonight, and I'll be saying it on the weekend, I'll be telling people that they need to stop being Sunday Christians and start make a sacrifice to be children of God that can attend every service. In the early days of this church, we had service quite a lot. I'll leave some of that for the weekend. And so Paul went on here, says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And the reason why is because people lose their spiritual vision. And you that's sitting here tonight listening to me, you can also lose your spiritual vision that all you do is listen and you're faithful because you want to please me, which is fine, but pleasing God is the most important thing. And then he goes on to say, he says, uh, for after the wisdom of men, verse, verse 21, after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now people says, well, I know God because I have gone to uh, institution of learning and I have gone to a seminary and so I know God. No, you don't. When you know God, you give up some of this stuff that the world offers. When you come to the Lord, you're like John the Baptist. You're not brought up in the house of a priest. When you come to the Lord, he takes you through the wilderness so he can eliminate all of Egypt's mentality from your heart. When you come to the Lord, like Paul, he takes away the Pharisee out of this Pharisee and the religion out of him. It is sad that in our day, the church world that we're living in, including our fellowship, we find that seeking degrees and knowledge and getting theology in our head is becoming predominant. Simplicity is lost. And uh, Paul went on here, he says here, and this is what I want to come to, he says, um, he says, uh, the Lord will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Verse 21, for after the, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased the Lord by foolishness of preaching to save, save them but believe. The Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ and him crucified. Uh, he says, we preach Christ and him crucified unto the Jews' stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, uh, is the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than the weakness. And he goes on here and he talks about uh, how important it is. And I'm looking for a verse of scripture here where it says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened... Uh, just a simple verse of scripture. He says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I wish I could find that verse. I'm not sure if it's in the same chapter. But Paul is speaking about spiritual illumination. Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse 18. Uh, move over with me to the book of Ephesians here. In Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 18, Paul, in dealing with the wisdom of, of this world, he also said that the God, verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Now I'm praying that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In order for us to survive this world and the evil of this world, we need God to touch our minds.
We need God to touch our minds. We need to understand spiritual things. He says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know in your heart, if the eyes of your understanding is enlightened, you'll be able to understand a lot of things that a simple person sitting next to you in church, full of education, does not see. See, if God does not touch your eyes, you'll be home on a Wednesday night. Eyes of your understanding. And I could be a dictator like I used to be, tell people, here's what you go to your staff, you got to be here, you got to do this. You... I don't want to do that. Because when I die, you'll go back to your old ways. I would like God to give us disciples that would be voluntarily laying down, the, uh, laying down their lives, taking up the cross and follow the Lord, denying self. He says that the eyes of your understanding, verse 18, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saint is, that is. And so back here in, in uh, Hebrews, the fifth, the fifth chapter of Hebrews, uh, Paul is writing to the Hebrews, and he makes a statement like this. He says in verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10, he says, God called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that's Jesus, of whom we have many things to say. He says, I have many things to say about Jesus, but he's telling these Jewish Christians that I have a lot of things to say and hard to utter, but you're dull of hearing. And that is not only our eyes need to be touched spiritually, but our hearing needs to be touched spiritually. You can sit there and listen to me and it comes in one ear and goes out the other and you didn't hear a thing. In the days of Jesus, he got up and he preached. And when he preached, just a few heard what he said. That is why the disciples came to him and says, Lord, why are you teaching in parables? He says, I'm teaching because it is given unto you to know the kingdom of heaven, uh, the mysteries of God, but unto them, the rest of the people listening, it's not given. And I pray that God, those following this message tonight, that God will touch your eyes and touch your ears, that seeing you might perceive, and hearing you might understand, and with both eyes and hearing touched spiritually, you will walk in his ways. And so Paul went on here, he says, verse 13, he says, for everyone that uses milk, uh, if you use milk, somebody says, well, what do you mean? I mean, you just want Jesus to say, praise God, you know, like you use milk. You're not ready to be challenged to live for God. He says, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Now, someone says, you see, uh, you can't just understand simple gospel. You need complicated gospel because you're just drinking milk. No, no, no. Milk is describing godly lifestyle. Milk, everyone say milk tonight. Amen. Milk is not talking about baby food. 
In the spiritual development of righteousness and godliness, milk is the early stages. And he says, when you use the milk, you're unskillful in what? In the word of righteousness. You see, the world today, the Christian world, including many of us in the ministry, we're preaching a gospel to educate the people and let, let us look good in the eyes of the public. See, I'm not preaching a gospel tonight because I want somebody to say, Brother Singh, well, it's a good message. No. I'm preaching a gospel tonight and hoping that you would live it. Amen. That's important. That righteousness would be established in your life. And so my gospel tonight uh, could be hidden from you. And if you're using milk, it says, Paul says, you're a babe. You're just like a babe. You can't handle the importance of righteousness. Uh, but strong meat, when I tell you about spiritual adultery and spiritual fornication and the subtlety of idolatry and the subtlety of iniquity, you would like that because you're getting to understand more technical things about life in the presence of God. You're not here to study all these big things, you know, and just educate yourself. No, you're studying all the technical things you need to understand about living godly. It's about living godly. All right? And so, Paul says, Strong meat belonging to them that are full age, who by reason of use, that is, I'm sitting in church tonight, and I'm using hearing the word of God. And by practicing to respond to what God is saying, I'm understanding. What is Brother Singh saying? See, last week, uh, was it last week I asked Andrew to get up? Wait until I asked the other young men to get up. And some of them, I look at them and they're spaced, like they're in uh, Mars or something. Uh, wait until I ask individuals to get up and put them on an international camera. And uh, let them show the world uh, that they are listening nothing that the pastor is saying. Excuse my English. But when you have your senses exercised in every service, every service is important. Every service is important for spiritual growth. Every class in the university... Every lecture is important. And it's not the same as sitting home and listening to the lecture online. When you sit there in the presence of the professor, when you sit in church in the presence of what God is doing, and your spirit is reaching up, and that is why we sing about the spirit. I need more of your spirit. Because when the spirit of God moves in that worship and sets your heart in line, you'll receive the word of God and your eyes would be touched, spiritually speaking, and your ears would open up, spiritually speaking, to the word of God. And you would be able to discern, the last part says, to discern between good and evil. You'll be able to discern between God and the devil. <clears throat> it is important. Tonight, as I'm talking to you, Listen to me here <clears throat> carefully. And there are things that we need to understand. One, 
We need to understand the difference between light and darkness. We need to understand the difference between good, that is God, and evil, that is the devil. And I'll tell you why. Because the devil is transformed like an angel of light. Now, academically, you might think you got a handle on it. But Israel academically thought they had a handle on it for many years. And they were in iniquity. Because Satan had gone into their midst and undermined their faith without them understanding. Without a spirit of God in, in our lives, we are wasting time. We're educating people and no one is being illuminated in their hearts. So they're dull of understanding. And that's what Paul told the individuals. He says, you're dull of understanding. You're dull of understanding. Jesus told his disciples that. He says, you're dull of hearing. We cannot be dull of understanding. When I say dull, I'm not talking about educating. I'm talking about spiritually dull because we can hear, but did not hear. And so, think about it. We have to understand the difference between what is the world. We have to understand what the world is. Love not the world. Well, if I don't know what the world is, and I can't differentiate what's good and bad in the world, I might be in the world and don't even know it. If I don't have a distinction between the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils, I might be drinking the cup of the devils more than I drink the cup of the Lord. If I don't understand what is spiritual fornication, I might be involved in spiritual fornication and think I'm doing service to God. I must be able to understand when the spirit is moving, is that the spirit of God moving or is that the flesh? See, one of the things we have that happened in this church is I wanted the band <coughs> to be spiritual before the band started playing back. And I told Nadine, I said, everyone is anxious to start a band. I said, go ahead and start the band. And every effort they made, I seen God honored my word. They one day play and then the next day can't. And then it's, it's going through a battle because I want a spiritual band. If they're possessed, they will not play spiritual music. And I would like the Davids, the Davids of today to play on their hearts, uh, on their harps, that they would drive away the presence of evil from our midst. So David sat before Saul, Saul was possessed, and all he did was play on a little harp, not a big band, just a harp. And maybe he sang, the Lord is my shepherd, the 23rd Psalm. And while he was singing, an evil spirit that was on Saul departed from him. We're, we're fighting a spiritual battle. And uh, we must understand that. God must help us to come to the place of understanding that. And, um, and uh, when we understand that, here is a scripture in, in 2 Corinthians. And you must understand this gospel that I preach. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth again. And he's making a statement here, very strong statement. <clears throat> he says, Therefore, seeing we have this hope ministry, verse 1, we, as we have received mercy, we don't faint. You see, uh, you might faint, 
I don't faint. I've gone over years of being disappointed that I don't faint easily. And that is why even an anniversary weekend, we can't blow it out of proportion. And I've received messages online. I've received personal, uh, personal messages sent to me and messenger of individuals that say how much they appreciate this ministry. And it's amazing. They're, they're, this past week alone, I was telling Chandri and reading things to her. This past week alone, uh, you get down there early in the morning and you're praying and suddenly a minister's name comes into your mind that you haven't prayed for for quite a while. And you pray for this man and says, Oh God, I pray for brother so-and-so. And then you get up, you put your coffee on, and you're having a cup of coffee with some toast or something, and you get a message. Minister writes and says, How are you, Brother Singh? I need to say hello to you. I said, Well, surprisingly, I write back to him and said, I prayed for you this morning. He says, You are also on my mind. Don't tell me God is unreal. Don't tell me that. And when you read these things and see how many things fall in line, one after the other, there it's amazing. I wrote a letter to someone and took my time early in the morning. You know I don't like write letters. Uh, but I wrote a letter uh, to, to, a, to a brother that is really suffering. And uh, when I wrote it, I mean, I could have written that letter about two years, three years, four years ago. But I wrote it this week, this morning, just, in, just about three, four paragraphs and sent it. And immediately I had a response. And the response was, I am so glad to read your words because this morning I was so much struggling uh, with a depression and I needed those words to lift my spirit. You know, and, and you know that God never fails. And these are things that encourages my heart. He might be encouraged, but I'm encouraged more than he is. The other one that I prayed for might be encouraged because we were thinking alike, but I'm encouraged also to know that God still does touch uh, one's mind. And so Paul writing here to the church of Corinth, he says, verse 3, he says, if our gospel be hid, well, I'm preaching it publicly. How is it hid? I'm preaching here tonight. Everybody's listening. But for every hundred person that listen, how many has really heard my gospel? See, the gospel I preach is not heard right here in this assembly. If it's heard in this assembly, in the heart, we'll have a packed out church here on a Wednesday night. But it's not heard. It goes into deaf ears. Are you discouraged by the thing? No, no, no. You know what encourages me? He came unto his own and his own received him not, but to as many as receive him. If he didn't get discouraged, why should I? Paul's last days. This man made three missionary journeys. I don't make journeys. I was going to make a journey 
uh, next month. <laughs> a little journey because of a brother, the one, you know, asked that I go to his meeting. And I was going to make that journey, and I, I felt like I should go because he wanted me, not because he asked me to come, I'll come. Didn't feel I should go. But the more I wait, is the more I felt like I shouldn't go, because if I'm going there for three days, and I'm going to hear in three days 15 preachers that would aggravate my soul, I don't need that. I want someone to lift my spirit. And if someone wants the Word of God, I am online. My message is online. I am on Facebook. That's right. And I could pull my iPad right here and put it up here and show how many things I every morning I try to put the gospel on Facebook every morning. And the people that follow me mainly are not in this church. Nadine, am I right? Yeah, the people that love it and are following me are not people in this church. This church has a dismal future if it continues to be the way it is. And before you know it, God might give you a soul to lead you. When Israel wanted to disobey God and they wanted what other churches, what other nations had, I say other churches, same thing, uh, they wanted what other nations had, God raised up Saul, set him over them. And that can happen to any church. When you fail to receive what God is giving you, God will take it away and he will send what you want to hear. And that is why while Paul was still alive, he made all those missionary journeys. You're not making missionary journey, saying, uh, take, uh, get a um, transat or somebody to take me to, to one country, uh, travel business class, you know, where I don't have to hassle, my baggage comes out, I can afford it. I stay in a five-star hotel, and I call that missionary journey. I don't even want to say what comes to my mind. I'm traveling business class, I'm going to a country, I'm staying in a five-star hotel, and I call that missionary journey? He gotta be kidding. Paul traveled on foot, and he went on his missionary journey, and he was shipwrecked a lot of times. That's my example. I'm going to read here. He says, let me finish this. He says, if our gospel be hidden or veiled from you, it is to them that are lost. Now, isn't he preaching publicly? Why would a hundred people listen to him and only five heard? Why is his gospel hidden when it's public? Why is my gospel hidden when it's public? And the race is not for those that start full speed and can continue. And that is why I look around and I appreciate those of you that are here that's been here for many years. Faithfulness. In spite of what problems you might incur and hardship you might go through, I'm glad you're here tonight.
commendation to you. Hats off to you. Talkers don't really interest me. Walkers do. And Paul, his gospel is hidden. Why? Because individuals that cannot follow the gospel that Paul preached and fall in line and make a sacrifice to obey it are lost. Paul, you shouldn't say that. Why are you saying that? Uh, these people would hate you more. Well, they did. Uh, they did not really like him. And as you come to the end of that chapter, there's so much more. But you see, here we are talking about having our senses exercised, that if God can touch us, we need to understand what is the cup of the Lord and what is the difference with the cup of the devil and drink one. If you don't understand in your heart and spiritual discernment is given to you to even understand what is the body of Christ and what is the body of the beast, you might be a part of Corinth. 21st century Corinth or 21st century Galatia or 21st century Thessalonica and don't even know it. May God help you. Are we dull of hearing? To be dull of hearing means you don't have your senses exercised to understand spiritual things. And to be dull of hearing is manifested in your lifestyle. And that is why in North America, some of the churches are struggling because people put God on a timetable and on a back burner in their lives. Are you following me? Paul made a statement in in First Corinthians, in First Timothy, chapter, uh, chapter in in First Timothy, chapter four and verse one. He says, he says, the Spirit speak it, and he's saying this. I'm saying, I know that. No, you don't. Do you know that scripture? Yes, I know it. No, you don't. He said, the Spirit speak it very plainly. Who is speaking? The Spirit is speaking very plainly. That says in a lot of times, some shall depart, depart, from the, depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. See, if the devil is transformed as an angel of light, and his ministers as apostle of righteousness, is it possible that he could be working in some of our churches and we don't even know? The seat of Satan was if I can get this right, was in four or five of the churches of Asia Minor that John wrote to, wrote to. The seat of Satan was in their midst. And so we would be naive to believe that the seat of Satan could be in our midst. And we could be preaching a message that does not change lives because it's not anointed by the Holy Spirit it's given to educate God's people, and so it makes us dull of hearing. And Paul says, uh, when they preach uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, well, I want to fight the devil. Well, you'd be surprised to know he can possess you and get you involved in a religious worship where you rebuke the devil all the time, and he's causing you to rebuke the devil. 
See, that's how spiritual deception is. Um, you put the brethren in remembrance, Paul says, and he's telling us the same thing Peter said. Peter says, I would not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, that you be established in the present truth. Paul says here in verse 6, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister. We have to always remember these things that God is doing in our midst. And so, you have to differentiate between good and evil. God must touch your senses. You have to have your senses exercised to discern God or the devil. God must touch you. You must be able to understand the difference between the spirit and the flesh. God must touch you. You must be able to recognize what is the world and what is the church. What's the difference? God must touch your mind. You must be able to recognize if your church is becoming a part of the body of the beast and no longer the body of Christ. You must be able to recognize that. You must have your senses exercised to see if the seat of Satan is being established in the church while the pastor is doing his best to preach the gospel to save the people. Did it happen before? Did it happen before? Yes. That's why I've got this Bible so thick in front of me. I must be able to understand what's light and what's darkness. And then the devil says, okay, I'm going to give them light. And he becomes an angel of light. He's not teaching to fornicate. He's teaching doctrines of holiness and righteousness. But it does not change people's life and they would not follow the present truth and they would not follow a genuine ministry that God wants to save them by using. They would follow the wrong element. So my friends, tonight, if my gospel be hid, Paul says, if my, our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost whom the God of this world has blinded their minds, lest they should believe the truth and be saved. Religion cannot save us. God must save us. And so when I'm thinking of all of this, one last scripture, I know time is gone on me, but in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 5, in Isaiah chapter 5, we're looking at understanding you have choices, my friends, a lot of choices to be made. And when you think about making choices, you have to make the right choice and choose the right thing. And in Isaiah chapter 5, uh, Paul, uh, Isaiah is writing and he says, verse, verse, oh, there's so much said here, but I can't have it all. He says, verse 13, therefore, my people, my people are gone into captivity. God's people have always, listen to me. God's people, the body of Moses, went into captivity ever so often. The body of Christ in the early church days went into captivity all the time. And you and I today might be saying, well, God brought me out of Babylon. And you just deceived yourself because you might be full of Babylon still in you. The customs of pagan religion might still be a part of your life. He did not bring you out of anything. It's a deception to yourself. 
And, Paul, and, and Isaiah says, he says, uh, verse, verse 20, Warn to them that call evil good. You're damned when you say the spirit is moving and the spirit was not moving. When you say, well, this was a good message and God was not in that message, you're damned. When you call evil good and you put good and call it evil and you put light for darkness, I'm reading that and finish. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light. Now, what do you mean, brother, saying darkness? The kind that 2 Corinthians 11 talks about. That the righteousness that the devil preaches since he has become an angel of light. The devil is a preacher today. And no church is infallible. And he says, they put light for darkness and darkness for light. And put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. One to them that are wise in their own eyes. And prudent in their own sight. One to them that are mighty to drink. Strong doctrine. We're into doctrines, brother. We're into heavy messages. If my message promotes me and does not promote, promote godliness, I don't mean a minister needs to put himself down, but if my message gives you only what will make you see me in an exalted light, then I need to get saved before I can help you to get saved. May God help us tonight as we listen to this message. I believe this message is what should be preached tonight, and God has given us an understanding. So may God touch our minds, and thank you all for coming out. The weather is changing, and I think we're going to have a wonderful uh, few days ahead of us, but I'm thankful for you coming out, and I pray that God will bless you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight. For this time we spent in your house, and we pray that your word will not return void unto you, but accomplish its purpose and plan. Lord, very simply I ask, please help us to live godly in this evil world. Please help us to have our senses exercised. Please help us, Lord, to make the right choices in our lives. Bless our weekend, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.